because everybody's dealing with COVID-19. It doesn't matter, you know, uh, where you are, you are dealing with it in some capacity. Maybe you're frustrated by it. Maybe you're terrified of it. Since the lockdown began in mid-March, we have been aware that unless we find a vaccine for COVID-19, we're going to have to find a way to coexist with this virus. And researchers across the globe are working tirelessly with companies to find, test, and form a plan to distribute a vaccine. Now, last week, the International Federation of Pharma Manufacturers Association, this is the industry body that represents the innovative biopharmaceutical industry, they delivered a joint statement on behalf of global interests of broad, innovative health industries. They assert that they are standing united with governments and global health stakeholders worldwide to combat COVID-19 and to ensure that the fight against COVID-19, no one in that fight is left behind. Thomas Suni is Director General of the International Federation of Pharma Manufacturers Association, and he joins us on the air right now. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Kelly. Thanks morning, for being well, thanks for being here from Switzerland. Um, how many COVID-19 treatments currently uh, and vaccines are we trying to develop worldwide? Do you have an idea? Huge number. When you look at uh, treatments, uh, more than 145 treatments are in development just by the innovative pharmaceutical industry. When you look at vaccines, more than 120 vaccines are you know, looked into when it comes to really developing, I expect rather 10 to 12 vaccine candidates to really move into clinical trials, then into scaling up. And hopefully in about a year's time, we will see two or three or better four vaccines available for us to make sure that we are able to end COVID-19. That's hard to believe, you know, when you're talking about, you know, hundreds of vaccines being developed, that two or three, you've just got your fingers crossed that they would be workable vaccines. Can you tell us what's meant by this? I've, I've read a lot about this, this triple helix approach to finding a COVID-19 vaccine. In, in terms of when you look at it, we normally it takes 10 to 15 years to develop a new vaccine. Here we talk about like the rights to Mars. We learned about SARS-CoV-2, the coronavirus, which causes COVID-19 on January 12th. And three and a half months later, we already are, you know, into phase one uh, clinical trials, which means healthy volunteers who are tested. Some companies move into phase two. Therefore, this is done at unprecedented speed and it's done with different approaches. One approach is the classic virus approach. The other one is to use so-called messenger RNA, where you, you really test out something uh, where, which wasn't done before, but which, if it works, it might be done at greater speed. It might be possible to scale up manufacturing much faster. We Yesterday, we held a global media briefing in Geneva with four leading CEOs and research heads of the biggest manufacturers. Each of them said that if this works, they will be able to produce one billion dosages each next year. This is unprecedented because when you look at global vaccines capacity right now, it's about five billion dosages. But for all vaccinations together, and here we talk about four companies each, and I could add the fifth one, who said 
we think, we believe that we can produce 1 billion dosages each next year. Question mark is if our vaccine works, and that mm. we don't know yet. If it does work, if, if several work, let's say that uh, each company uh, that you spoke to yesterday and each CEO says, you know, we actually have a workable vaccine and we can develop one billion doses. Could we see several vaccines being used in different parts of the world? I would imagine that actually I would hope for because we need to have more than one shot. For example, it's very known that the elderly and the elderly are more vulnerable to COVID-19 their immune system is not as strong as of the young. That's why they're more susceptible to get seriously sick from COVID-19. There you may need, for example, two shots rather than one, two dosages. Uh, one of the companies, for example, GlaxoSmithKline, they do uh, team up with Sanofi Pasteur from France. They have an adjuvant, and the adjuvant is something which reduces the dosage needs. But also companies are really working collaboratively in several ways. We have one company, AstraZeneca. They team up with Oxford University, the Jenner Institute. We have Pfizer from the U.S. teaming up with a German biotech company, BioNTech. We have two big multinational corporations, Sanofi, Boston, and GSK. One of them also uh, works with a Chinese company. Therefore, we have ways of collaboration which we have never seen before. One element which I'd like to add is we're also part of this global partnership called uh, Act Accelerate. And Prime Minister Trudeau was part of a big pledging conference hosted by the Commission President, Dr. von der Leyen, on May 4th in Brussels. Because we also, from the industry, we're deeply sensitive, as you said at the beginning, at the end of the day, no one should be left behind. That's why we shouldn't just think about us in the rich parts of the world, Canada or Switzerland. We also need to make sure that healthcare workers, for example, in developing countries get immunized early rather than late. You know, that is one of the questions I want to get to. to how do you decide who gets vaccinated first? Is that one of the major hurdles or is, is, is the big hurdle global distribution? How is it going to be, you know, if you find a way that um, would facilitate a distributing to a vaccine, a possible vaccine to, you know, the third, third world in a way that is uh, it's conceivable? The big hurdle actually is scalability. The big hurdle is manufacturing capacity. I've seen uh, scenarios earlier this week uh, which assumed that in order to really get herd immunity on a global level, you should vaccinate the world. And there you may need up to 15 billion dosages. There is no way that you could do this within a few months, not even in a year. Uh, that's why the important question is who should get it first. Now, one of the challenges in terms of scaling up, it's not just manufacturing capacity where you need a lot of know-how, but for example, vaccines are put into glass vials. There's not, uh, you know, there's simply not enough glass vials around in the world. And the whole manufacturers of glass vials are also scaling up. There's a race that who gets it. And uh, last but not least, we talked yesterday about, thanks to our discipline in social distancing and washing hygiene, we see a flattening of the curve. For example, in Switzerland, last night, I was able to go out to a restaurant and have a dinner 
We're now down, down to 10 cases nationwide per day. That means it's not that easy to find enough patients to do clinical trials. Therefore, it's also raised against time to make sure that we do not see the same as we had when we had the SARS situation 70 years ago, where by the time companies were ready to test their vaccines, the virus had disappeared. So I fear this will not happen here, but mm. it is important that we do line up to look at guidance, for example, from WHO to who should get it first. I would expect that healthcare workers, irrespective of where they live, deserve, those on the front line, deserve to get it first. I would expect that one would want to look at the elderly, people over 65, or people with pre-existing conditions. Now, the challenge will be every government feels a responsibility to their own citizens, and you see this already happening around the world. At the same time, we need to look into the global solidarity, and that's where the EU Commission at this patching conference, where Prime Minister Trudeau participated, is important because this is really about global solidarity, global allocation. But, you know, we're in a time where we, the globe has been has almost, I mean, I wouldn't want to say never been so divided, but we're watching, you know, uh, places uh, like uh, the uh, Britain leave the EU and people becoming a little bit more nationalistic. So, you know, you look at the states. Um, I wonder, the, the cynic in me, and I hate to say this, but I'm sure I'm not alone on this, wonders about, I understand that we've got several companies working together, but these are companies that are in the private sector. Over many years, they are very protective of their intellectual uh, property rights. Is that possibly problematic um, in the future when you're talking about a global solution? Could we see people uh, and companies, I'm, I'm using companies as a person, but entities going back to their, you know, old way of doing business. You know, at the end of the day, I've discovered a vaccine. It's going to help everybody, but I still have to make money from this. Uh, actually, I'm extremely optimistic, and I feel rather proud when I look at how our industry reacted. Uh, on the one hand, thanks to actually our IP system, thanks to a flourishing innovation ecosystem, we have been able to come up so rapidly with treatment options, but also with vaccine options. But basically, every one of the industry leaders either said, if we get something, we want to sell it not for profit, or we will make sure that our vaccine will be affordable. I haven't heard anyone who said, end of the day, we really need to make money. This is not business as usual. This is business as unusual. And the companies feel a deep sense of responsibility. I think our industry is quite often maligned and uh, you know, uh, criticized for the way it, it, it behaves or reacts. I think our competitive nature, based on strong IP system, has made it possible that we were able to react so strongly. And one of the company leaders yesterday said, my company has so far invested more than $2 billion in wow. team. I do not expect to get the money back. What I do want is to contribute, and we can afford to contribute, to really end COVID-19. And that's the sense I see across the industry. I've never seen something like this before. Of course, we're also concerned about the decline of multilateralism. I'm myself a former multilateral diplomat. 
But here I really see within this industry a call and emerge. We want to be part of this global act accelerator. We want to work with Sepi Gavi and the the vaccine initiative. Uh, I've heard a lot of praise for regulatory agencies around the world. I actually also heard praise for Bill Gates with you know, he has really been a leader in this preparedness for pandemic preparedness again in driving this act accelerator. You normally don't hear this every day from industry leaders. Well, I hope you're right. And Thomas, I I thank you for your time. It's been really interesting talking to you. And I mean, here's keeping our fingers crossed that one of these companies, if not more than one, come up with a working vaccine and very, very soon because we certainly need it. Thomas, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Kelly. I can tell you in the end, science will win. Be optimistic.